I'm Nikia Cheney. And I'm Cassidy Parong. And I'm Raina Shalise. And you're listening to Amplify, where we provide space to amplify the voices of students who have not been historically heard at Cabrillo. That would include Black, Chicano, Chicana, Latino, Latina, Indigenous, Asian, and any other group of students who feel marginalized on our campus. This podcast series was made possible by support from the Faculty Grants for Student Success, FGSS, and the Associated Students of Cabrillo College Grants, ASCC. If you want to join in this conversation or support our programs, please reach out. We'd love to hear your voice. You're listening to Amplify, where we bring together student experience, Black voices, and social justice. This is Raina Shalise speaking, and I'm joined today with quite the group. So if we want to go one by one, Cass, do you want to say a little bit? Yeah, hi, I'm Cassidy Perong. I've been working on Amplify for a while now, sort of just behind the scenes. Um, today, I think we're going to be talking about injustices in the school system. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm just happy to be here with all of you. Thank you. And I'm Nikia Cheney, and I'm so happy to be here um, with two students, especially as we're partnering with CSUMB students um, and their experiences. And so I'm ready to have a fun conversation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Amplify podcast. Um, my name is Thomas, and um, we're going to be speaking about um, like racial discrimination throughout the education system and basically our experiences and our thoughts and perspectives on it. Absolutely. And we're also joined today by Billy. Billy, do you want to introduce yourself briefly? Uh, hi, I'm uh, Billy Aldrys. I am uh, one of Thomas's uh, partners. We are Together, we are uh, going to do a podcast about racial and racial discrimination. Thank you so much. We're so happy you're here. And, you know, I'm just going to hand it off to Thomas. Do you want to get started with our conversation and maybe share a question or an experience? We're here for you. Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so I could definitely start with a question first. And uh, it would probably be a question to everybody. So the first question I would have to ask would be, how do you view racial discrimination throughout the schooling system? And do you think it is an issue that should have been addressed a long time ago? That's an incredible question, Thomas. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Nakia, did you want to start off? Well, yeah, you know, I can. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, I think for me, it's, it's, it, it's kind of ongoing in the sense that um, in most educational spaces, I've been one of only a few African-American students in that classroom or in that space. Um, I did go to, uh, when I was very young, I did go to a kind of an inner city elementary and junior high. Um, and so the experiences there was a little different, but we did know this was been in the 1980s and you could tell the differences of how like certain kids were treated as compared to other kids who were treated. Um, and so early, early on, you kind of knew that the teacher 
categorized you as a particular, you know, group, like, and didn't really want to deal with any issues that you were having. So it was a combination of just being ignored or a combination of um, just not getting the same level of treatment. I remember when I was very, very young, and I think I was in kindergarten or first grade, and uh, I used the bathroom with myself, right? Um, and I was terrified because, you know, I had had to use the bathroom for so long and I kept raising my hand and raising my hand and she kept ignoring me. And so I finally just, you know, you're five years old, you're six years old, you know, I just let go. Um, and she was so livid and so angry and she called me dirty um, and nasty. And, you know, when I think about like that happening now, I'm like, oh my God, that's pretty mean to do to a very, very young student who couldn't go to the bathroom because she, you know, she'd never, she'd never call on, on black students in the class. So that was sort of my first, my earliest experience. And then you get used to it. And then you just kind of think that this is normal, but, but, you know, but let's go around to the rest of the rest of the group. Um, what, what do you guys all think? What are your experiences? Well, I can, uh, yeah, I can talk from my experience as a teacher, and then maybe we can hear from Thomas or Billy. Um, but I know currently I'm an educator at Cabrillo College. I teach communication studies, and I'm also earning my doctorate in educational leadership right now in this moment. And we're learning a lot about this traditional model of education. And one of the things I've learned about is called deficit-based thinking. Um, and this is the assumption that our students of color come in to the classroom as deficient. So they don't have necessarily all the things that the white students enter into the classroom having. Um, so it's upsetting to realize that our educational system has been shaped by this assumption that our students of color don't already have what our white students have. So therefore there's an expectation that they won't do as well. And so for me as an educator, it's really been about recognizing how the system has been shaped by racist ways of thinking, you know, and has really perpetuated so many injustices like Nikki is describing for our students of color who, you know, are assumed to have come into this space, not having what they are expected to have or need in order to succeed. And in this way, there's a lot of teachers who embody or um, internalize these assumptions and then maybe don't call on particular students because I don't think they'll be able to contribute in the ways that the white students can. So for me, that's definitely uh, what I've seen in terms of discrimination in the classroom space. I think that was awesome. Yeah, um, the way that I view uh, racial discrimination, uh, I think it's, uh, very bad and I think it should uh, be kept out of our schooling system because it only hurts the students that are impacted. Uh, I believe that in school it happens almost every day and I, I view it as uh, unacceptable and it should be fixed uh, immediately. Um, you can't really teach people judging them on how they look and that's a big issue 
I think it uh, should have been addressed a long time ago. And it's impacting the students' learning. Yeah, I completely agree. It's definitely impacting uh, many students that deserve an equal chance. So what about you, Cass? What do you think? What I think about when I think about the education system is one of my friends, um, she's an immigrant from Eritrea, and her daughter, is, she suspects that her daughter has ADHD. Um, and so she's going through the school system, but she's her daughter is not actually allowed to get an IQ test done. Yeah, it's something that they have. It's a California thing where if you identify as African-American, you're not allowed to take an IQ test in the school system. Um, and they, they banned it because they found it to be discriminatory. And instead of changing it and making a more inclusive test, they decided to just ban it altogether um, because it was a simpler solution. I was talking to my friend about how it's just such a huge disservice to her and her daughter where they can't get the help that they need, um, at least not easily, so that she can get the specified learning that would really help her in the school system. I think it's awful that it's a very integrated part of our school system. It has been for a very long time, and I think that it should be changed. There's just so many roadblocks, especially given that it's such a big institution, you know, like the education system, there's government involved, so many politics to sift through. I guess, Thomas, what are your ideas for how we can enact change in the education system? Um, that was actually one of my further questions, but I was going to add on to this question, like with my response. Like, um, so personally, um, I believe like the subject is very important because like a shocking study showed that the U.S. education system is one of the most unequal systems in the industrialized world. And I thought this was pretty mind blowing because you would think uh, the United States has like a, a fair shot for everybody, like an equal chance for education for everybody, but that's not the case at all. And um, yeah, I, I just think it's shocking that uh, like we're even at this point and the way like I view racial discrimination in our schooling system is definitely needs to start having a change as soon as possible. And um, yeah, there's there's definitely plenty of ways that we can we can help uh, fix this problem. And I think the main thing right now we would need is just to bring attention to it. I want to hear a little bit more about that and about the IQ test and then about um, your findings about the U.S. education system being so unequal. Because on one hand, you know, we have personal experiences of those who kind of dealt with it teachers who've seen it, like Rena, educational experiences who've, who've seen it. But, you know, some of this, this information is just not out there, right? That we make that assumption that everything's okay, or we're trying to get better, we're moving towards getting better. And then we realize that there's some really, really, um, really, really bad practices that are still in play. Um, and I, I, I just kind of want to hear more about those findings, you guys. Yeah, so um, it's just something that I recently have encountered where I, I guess they were asking questions like, um, what was the theme of Romeo and Juliet? And if you didn't have that knowledge, if you didn't grow up in a home that was filled with Shakespeare quotes, um, 
then you wouldn't really know. It's not something you would have access to. But again, I don't really know too much about this law. Um, and if IQ tests are even still used like this today. One of the sources that I had a chance to look at actually says um, that there's a rising correlation between race and SAT score. And this is just another way where racism has impacted our school systems. But to go back to the IQ tests, um, I think it happened back in 1971, where the law was passed that if you're black, then you can't get these tests done. And um, it still is having major effects on us today. Yeah, and Cass, I'm just grateful you brought this up because I'm thinking about there's a really wonderful article written by Tara Yoso, published in 2005, um, and she's really asking, you know, whose culture has capital, right? Whose culture is deemed valuable and worthwhile? Um, and so just some of these questions you're describing on these IQ tests, it's not measuring intelligence, it's measuring what kind of capital can you draw from in your lived experiences, right? Do you come from a traditionally white household? Yeah, do you have the, the knowledge that most people who come from white culture will have. So I think it's interesting to recognize that we're not measuring intelligence, we're measuring what culture you come from and whether or not that knowledge is deemed valuable. So I just think that that's such a great example. And it's really sad because this law was originally created to protect African-American students. Like what I imagine what happened is that um, a bunch of African-American students tested, they, they failed this IQ test that so they weren't set up to succeed for. Um, they were deemed intellectually incapable because of it. But And so the law protected students from being deemed in such a way. But now, like my friend, um, her daughter can't get the tests needed to see where she's at or what kind of specific help she needs. So even though it started off as really good intention is actually backfiring and negatively impacting the school system today. Wow. You know, one thing I noticed is the, and then this is just anecdotal, but um, class size, right? Especially like with elementary school, right? Uh, my um, a friend of mine, she's a teacher at a high school and she said they upped the cap um, to her classes to, from, she teaches an English class. So from 20, 20, 29 students to 34 students. And so I'm thinking like, well, 34 students, right? You know, and it's like she said that, well, the district promised that they would be bringing in, you know, more educators and whatnot, but they didn't, they just upped the cap, right? And so it didn't happen at another high school that was in a more like predominantly white area. They did not up the cap they gave hiring incentives and they brought in more teachers where in the lower, you know, the, the, the poorer area, um, they upped the cap. And so when you, when you start looking at some of these practices, you see how certain students are set up to fail. But I want to get back. Is that one of the, Thomas and, and Billy, is that one of the, the unequal measures that you found in your research? I want to get back to what you were saying, Thomas, about how the U.S. education system was the most unequal um, in the world. I thought that was just so interesting. Yeah. So actually, um, I found this uh, research 
by the company called uh, Brookings, Brookings Education. And they actually did a study on like uh, unequal opportunity, like between race and education. And um, they found that like out of every industrialized country in the world, um, the U.S. has like the most unequal education system, like um, for many reasons. One of the big reasons was racial discrimination. So I just thought um, like that was very important to like um, get out there and uh, put the information out there, I guess, so more people can uh, like really understand the severity of the problem. Absolutely. And Thomas, if you're comfortable, is there um, an example you have from your own lived experiences that you wanted to share? Um, yeah, I think I think definitely I hadn't I had an experience. I would say it was probably in middle school. Um, I noticed that like me and like a few other um, like Mexican students were like um, kind of singled out in this uh, like, fitness education classroom. And like, it was like really noticeable, like everybody noticed it. And like, even like students had even like come up to us and like talk to us about it. And like, like, yo, like that's so unfair how like the teacher can like treat you guys like that and give you guys less privilege, like just because of like a, a natural bias or something like that. And um like thinking about it more deeply, like not only has it like affected me, but it's affected like millions of students, I believe. Absolutely. And Billy, is there particular experiences you can connect to with this as well? Because I know you mentioned you went to high school with Thomas as well. Uh, yeah. Um, personally, I haven't had too many. Sorry, my mic cut out, uh, but um personally i haven't had too many uh problems with this um but i do have friends that have had problems um for example uh in school uh there is a cup there is a couple uh black people a couple mexican and they they weren't uh like picked on as much as like white people they um they were just singled out they weren't um they weren't picked on as much because of their of their race so like um like what do you mean by that like in what aspect like being called on by the teacher like to answer things or like or like, what do you mean they weren't picked on as much? Uh, yeah, just uh, like in schooling, like uh, getting help with uh, certain work. Uh, I feel they were left out. Uh, they weren't chosen as much. And I think that's a big problem. Okay, so like um, they were given like a a lower chance to succeed than than their peers, basically. Yeah, they, they have less opportunity to su succeed in school. And I think that's that's not cool. Yeah, that's definitely unfair. Thank you, Billy. I'm remembering this one time 
in middle school when my teacher divided the class in half and he said, if you want to pay attention, be on this side. If you want to scoop off, be on the other side. And me and all of my friends being who we were, um, we, we are on the destructive side, just really just causing a ruckus, um, goofing off. And it, what you said made me think of this, Billy, because it was just this, the solution to schooling was this intentional casting aside um, of half the class and it comprised of largely people of color. And it's just so sad because as a teacher, you know, the class size was way too big. He, there was no way for him to control the class. Um, his name was Mr. Barraza. And the effect was just just neglect, just pure neglect to more than half of the students. Um, and it's just so sad because he didn't really have any choice in the system that he was put in. Thank you, Cass. Yeah, I feel like that really brings us to this this next question. It sounds like, Thomas, you might want to talk a little bit about what can we do moving forward, you know, recognizing that this is happening. There's these examples that we have that we've lived. So what do you think is next? What do you think are the next steps? Can you repeat that one more time for me, Raina, please? Oh, sure. Yeah, I was just saying it sounds like you know, you, you wanted to ask some questions about how we can move forward. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay, so um, another question I had was um, like, how can we bring more awareness to like racial discrimination that colored students and minority students deal with like in school? And um, like my answer to this question is like, I think like it's crucial to bring more attention to this topic because um, like it impacts so many students and they're given like such an unfair chance like at their education when education is it's it's really important and everybody should be given like the fair shot to succeed. So I definitely think like attention like being brought to racial discrimination is like one of the most crucial things we can do to help this topic. Um, I think uh, how we could bring more awareness is, uh, uh, for example, hosting more uh, podcasts like TED Talks, uh, just talk about how everything's going, like what's going on and how we could fix it. And even on like social media, because there's a lot of people on social media. And if we bring... Uh, if we bring awareness to that, I think that uh, it'll eventually get better. And I think that uh, it'll eventually get solved. And I think that's very good. We need to solve this. Yeah. You know, also, I, I kind of want to flip this a little bit, right? Um, to talk about a really good experience that happened in high school. It, well, it wasn't high school. It was actually elementary school. But then later in high school, and the weird thing about this and talking with some of my students, I noticed that, especially like some of my black students, I noticed the ones who are going on to college, who are going on to higher education, have had something very similar. It's that sort of one teacher phenomenon who really took the time to sit down and work with the student. When I was in the third grade, I had one teacher, a lady named Miss Gray, she was a black teacher, really short Afro, I can still remember her to this day. And she would take the time to sit 
and talk with me. She encouraged me to do an oral, like an oral presentation where I had to learn Langston Hughes poem and recite it in a competition. Um, she would show me books and poetry and, and all kinds of things, right? And she really said, you know, hey, you're very smart. She really encouraged me. And I thought that, that having an experience like that I never connected it to having such a deep impact on me. But then later I saw that so many students and black students, but also Hispanic students and students of different races, API, whatnot, said the same thing. There was this one teacher in high school. There was this one teacher in the sixth grade. There was this one teacher who really tried with me and really helped me out. And so I know, I know that that's not the solution that we've been talking about, whereas in we need to really highlight this racial discrimination and what it's doing to our students. But I did want us to kind of look at like, what are some things we'd want to see to make those changes, right? Because we are all either students or educators here. What would we want or have had uh, educational experiences if we're not students? What would we want to see to change that? Or what experiences have we had that may have flipped this in some kind of way so we can model it. So um, I think like one of the ways that has uh, kind of changed um, like racial discrimination in my experience would be um, just really getting to know my educator <clears throat> and um, kind of having like a personal connection with them. And I noticed that in high school when I started to really uh, talk to my teachers and communicate more than uh, many of the other students would. Um, I started to get uh, develop a really better relationship with my teachers and I was able to have more opportunity and succeed. I definitely would say when it got to high school and I started building relationships, I definitely had a higher chance to succeed. So I think one of the things I would love to see is um, students that are facing discrimination like minorities and students of color to definitely um, get out there and uh, build a relationship with their teacher and uh, really like put an end to like the the automatic uh, racial discrimination that's being faced today. Oh, Thomas, I love that. Thank you so much. Yeah. And also to connect that with what Nakia was sharing, my hope moving forward is that in my own efforts as an educator, you know, being aware of my white privilege, being aware of the things that I can bring to this space and utilize it in a way that's actually effective and helpful. So for me, it's really been burning down all of the curriculum and rebuilding it through this lens of community cultural wealth. So that ties back to the Tara Yosa article that I was saying you know, earlier, talking about earlier, um, and really just recognizing that each of our students comes into the classroom space already embodying these amazing ways of knowing, you know, based on your upbringing, based on the things that you've developed over time in your own life, it can really be utilized in the classroom space to continue co-creating knowledge. So for me, that's my hope moving forward is that I can really strengthen my relationship with my students and at the same time, help them see that they are so capable they have everything they need to succeed. We just need to uncover all the things that have been historically silenced about them. So that includes things like, you know, navigational capital, recognizing that they've navigated these different systems that have been 
shaped to keep them quiet. You know, they've they've learned how to navigate these particular systems that often are dehumanizing, but here they are and they're still learning and wanting to learn. Or there's aspirational capital wanting to really highlight their goals, regardless of the barriers that have been put in front of them. They still want to achieve these goals and they have dreams and we need to celebrate that. So for me, that's my hope moving forward is that as an educator, I can continue to celebrate them, uplift them, remind them that they're important and that they are a necessary part of the knowledge creation process. So Billy or, or Cassidy, have you guys ever had any of those, those types of experiences or those types of teachers in your orbit who kind of done the things that Rena really wants to do with her students and is doing with her students? Have you, have you ever had any experiences like that yourself? That is so amazing, Raina. I just wanted to add that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I feel... Um... I feel like nothing can be as good without having a dialogue, you know? We need to invite our students to have a dialogue. Yeah, definitely. So would you like to add anything? I think it's beautiful too, Raina. I think it's a beautiful way to look at the student-teacher relationship and education, right? And relationships being so important in education. But would you guys like to add anything to that, Billy or Cass? about your own experiences, good experiences, or even bad experiences, but maybe your relationships with your teachers um, or anything like that. Yeah, uh, I think it's very important um, just to get to know each one of your teachers, just like one-on-one, -on -one, tell them what you're about and get to uh, have a better educational experience. And it's important because uh, some teachers could view you as uh, someone that you're not. And I think that um, once you get to know your teacher and they better understand you, then the whole learning experience becomes almost like a piece of cake. Uh, did you wanna add anything, Cassidy? I'm trying to think if I remember any particular relationships that I formed with teachers where I really felt like nourished by it. Um, and I can't, nothing really comes to mind, to be honest. Just Nikki account. Yeah, it's, it's like, definitely, <laughs> it's, it's not an experience that uh, everybody uh, went through because I know um, a lot of students don't really build personal uh, relationships with their teachers because. I don't know, it's not really like the norm to do, I guess. But uh, I, I would say that it definitely uh, did help like solve like racial discrimination uh, in, in education for me. Yeah, I have to say, looking back on my college career and it's still happening, I'm still a student in this moment. But you know, the whole reason I'm a teacher is because of very specific teachers who said, you know, even though you came from a single parent household, even though, you know, you grew up with a lot of food insecurity and housing insecurity, you can become a teacher and you're amazing and you're smart and all these other things. And I think if I didn't have educators who took the time 
to see me as a person, you know, to see the possibilities in my future, I wouldn't have known to see them. So for me, it's definitely based on the fact that learning is relational. You know, we have to have these relationships because we're human and we can learn from each other. And then Cassidy, she said, this Raina and Nakia count. And you know what? Here's the funny thing. You were never our official student, which is really, really we stole you. We stole you <laughs> from another class, you know, like we just sort of found someone who wanted to work with us on Amplify. Um, but we did create that more authentic relationship with each other, right? To where we're working together to do something um, for our campus and something that's a little bit larger than just the assignment in the classroom, right? So that that those those authentic personal connections are so, so important. And that's why I felt sad when Cass was like, I'm having a hard time thinking of somebody, you know, and I know Billy hasn't mentioned anyone either. And Thomas, do you have like a favorite teacher? Because I wanted to be Miss Gray. That is the whole reason why I'm doing this. I wanted Yes, to I definitely have a favorite teacher. Okay, go for it. Go for it. Tell us about your favorite teacher, Thomas. Okay, so actually my favorite teacher, uh, uh, her name was Miss Delphin. And um, she was like my teacher in, uh, in sixth grade, actually. And uh, I don't know, I guess like she was new to the school and so was I. So it's like, we kind of like built a relationship on that. And um, like, she definitely like helped me succeed like in my educational journey because I wasn't doing too well when I like moved to the new school. And like, um, I kind of like wasn't trying and stuff. And like, she gave me like, um, she gave me like motivation to try and succeed in her classroom. And that definitely helped me like throughout like the rest of my educational journey uh like immensely immensely helped me she just i guess she just uh like really talked talked to me and, and helped me like see things for the better see that's i knew there was someone there <laughs> like if i knew you had a favorite teacher somehow or other i've been kind of finding that with my students like you know like you, somewhere in there there's somebody that you had a relationship with um but even if you haven't uh it's it really it really is a way to think through racial discrimination in school and education. It really is a way to see, you know, that there is another side to all of this, right? There is a way to solve this problem. We know what's important. We know what students need. We know that, you know, we have to humanize each other. Um, so, you know, and, and, and Raina is asking about Miss Frizzle from the Magic School Bus. Does Miss Frizzle from the Magic School Bus count as our favorite teacher? What do you say, guys? I say absolutely yes. Ms. I say absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Do you want to add anything to this conversation, Billy? Uh, yeah, I definitely have a, I have a favorite teacher. Um, uh, back in middle school, her name was uh, Miss Zeal. She, uh, she, oh, like I had a, a one-on-one -on -one connection with her. She was awesome. She, uh, she was always helping students, no matter what it was, if it was from schoolwork to something personal, she was always there for you. And I think that, uh, just because of that, she was my favorite teacher and, uh, she, didn't uh 
discriminalize anybody. She she was always there for everybody, and I think that was awesome. Yeah, I wanted to add on to that. I also had Ms. Zeal as a teacher, and she's definitely uh, one of my favorite teachers. It's definitely Ms. Zeal and Ms. Dolphin, like, up here. And, uh, yeah, I don't think Ms. Zeal discriminated anybody. Like, she was, like, she took education as very important, so she gave everybody an equal chance to succeed. And she also, like, built personal connections with every single one of her students and really helped everybody, like, personally and in school. So I thought that was great, Billy. Ms. Zeal is amazing. That's really cool. You know, Thomas, you mentioned that article that you read from Brookings, um, and it has this beautiful quote in it, and it talks about the entitlement to good teaching that all students should have, regardless of who they are, and how that lack of having a good educator, having an educator who's an expertise at the field, or just someone who knows how to teach, is part of the reason we have some of the issues that we have. And this, this quote says, the common presumption about educational inequality, that it resides primarily in those students who come to school with inadequate capacities to benefit from what the school has to offer, that is wrong. It continues to hold currency because the extent of inequality and opportunities to learn is largely unknown. We don't think about an entitlement to good teaching. We don't think about a relationship to good teachers. We don't think about the importance it is for students to see themselves represented as themselves, right? With their educators as something that is currency and something that is necessary in a classroom. So just to sort of tie this all back in to what we've been talking about. Um, but, you know, I mean, we're trying we're trying, and as us teachers, we're trying to do exactly that. Uh, and this is why, right? Because you're right, we have to stop inequity in our classrooms. It's that that's causing us the issues that we're having. So here's a beautiful, beautiful uh, conversation and message. Oh, Nakia, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that quote. And, and really what I'm hearing through all of this is that the ways we can push back against injustice and correct these wrongs is by humanizing each other and seeing each other and being like, hey, I see you as a person and you really matter. And I want to value you and your lived experience and your culture. Um, so it just, it really seems like the way to move forward is by caring about each other. <laughs> What a weird concept. Oh, my. Yeah, God. that's that's amazing, Reina. I never um, I definitely didn't have like my main thing based around like uh, humanizing people. And but that's definitely what this uh, what this conversation has led to. I think um, humanizing is definitely one of the biggest ways is that uh, we'll fix racial discrimination in schools. Can we talk about the wealth gap, I guess? Um, between private education and public education because that's sort of what I think of um, one of my closest friends for his undergrad he went to NYU Abu Dhabi and he had like five students per class got to know his teachers intimately all of his peers intimately and then me I went to UCSC and 300 students per lecture hall um, not really an option to go and develop a relationship with your teacher, be a humanized experience for your teacher, unless you go out of your way to do it, like you were saying, Thomas. 
So there's just a difference there between even if you have access to a private school or not. Shoot, even 30 students compared to 10 students, right? I mean, really think about the difference between having like 10 students in a class are 30 students in a class. Like that's, that's, and if we're talking elementary and junior, this is normal, right? And we don't think that, you know, this is, this is really difficult. You know, this is difficult. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And I'm thinking about, you know, at Cabrillo with our classes for the comm department, at least we always have these insanely long wait lists and in the process of accepting as many people as humanly possible it's, it starts to reduce this really this opportunity to connect with them you know on a deeper level especially with the online space right now during the pandemic but even when we're in person um, it pushes me as an educator to really reduce the amount of traditional you know, I am the authority, they are just empty vessels sitting there kind of structure. And instead really bringing them out to activities, doing things where we get to know each other. Um, so it seems like there's an opportunity when there's more students in a space for us to once again, burn down how it's been done before. So we can really recreate a better way of learning, you know, a better way of seeing each other in that way and seeing each other's value because it gets more difficult. You know, it's not impossible, but it's definitely more difficult when there's more people to a space. One of my classes, because of COVID, um, we all met in Club Penguin and talked on Discord, and that was how we held lecture. And like you were saying, it's hard to cultivate um, human relationships in this digital space. You know, you don't get your cigarette break or you don't really get to drop in with anyone outside of the Zoom lecture hall. But we're given all these opportunities in the digital sphere of like, hey, what if we all met in Minecraft? Or what if we all met in a different multiplayer game and really intentionally cultivated this digital space where we could hang out and just get to know one another and humanize the experience again? I think it's really cool. Okay, I'm going to remember the Club Penguin. That seems freaking awesome to, to have a class in, in a Disney virtual environment with avatars. Like that seems really, really, really fun. Um, so I'm gonna remember that. Our Discord, to have your, have your classes on Discord. You know, that's just, that's, that's really, I like that. I really, really like that. But again, it, it leads back to that same idea. Like how do, we, how do we make these relationships a little bit more unique between educators and students, right? Billy, do you want to add to this to this in any way? Or Tom, would you like to meet a teacher on Club Penguin or, or Discord or, or Clubhouse? <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely be up to um, meeting a teacher on Discord and uh, discussing um, uh, opportunities for my education. I think that would be that'd be great. That would definitely benefit students that are looking for uh, a little something extra. Yeah, uh, I think uh, that Discord or Zoom is probably the best one. Probably Zoom because you would be able to meet face-to-face. -face. You'd be able to try to interact a little better. But unfortunately, Club Penguin is shut down right now, so we can't do that anymore. 
<laughs> Club Penguin did get shut down. We got to find some virtual world. Recently? <laughs> I thought there was like a remake. Somebody like. Oh, yeah. The, um, yeah. Like some of the devs did make a remix. Yeah. I, that one worked. CPR, rewritten, not met. They're also annoying. Um, I really want to do one in Minecraft because you can go into creative mode and have like, I don't know. I, I envision like little like signposts that like talk about like the discussion points and then everybody has to like travel there with their little minecraft characters you know and like break walls down with their pickaxes i think that's just adorable and like interactive and engaging and like you can build stuff together and have that collaboration so that's my better than club Penguin, but yeah, i think that's amazing yeah i think that's a great idea uh, you got me thinking of a class, Cass. You got me thinking of a class. So it, this may become a reality one day. <laughs> Using blocks to build English, <laughs> English papers, right? You know, here's our first yeah. thesis statement. Okay, anyway. Anyway, you guys. Anyway. That's so cool. That'd be amazing. Cass, I just think that goes to show that's why you should be a teacher. Just saying. You know, no pressure, but also. That would be cool. Oh, thank pressure. you, Rena. I'm pressuring Cass. will be a teacher, Cass. It will happen. <laughs> well, I just appreciate everybody's input. You know, I feel like we we started with these really difficult examples of experiencing discrimination, and you know our perspectives of what that means in the classroom space. And now we've moved towards what we can do about it. So I'm just super grateful for this. Yeah, it was lovely talking with anyone. Does anyone have last remarks before we sign out? Um, I just wanted to say that uh, Amplify is an amazing platform. <laughs> Amplify really does help get the students' voices out there. Thank you so much, Thomas. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you, you being a part of Amplify and you too, um, Billy Alderese and just kind of sharing your experiences and having a conversation with us, right? Oh, and sharing your favorite teachers, <laughs> right? You know, hopefully they'll listen to it and, and they'll see that, you know, what they did did have an impact on you in the future. That's beautiful. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you guys too. You this guys definitely made all of this possible. Thank you for uh, letting me be a part of this podcast. Thank you. It was very fun. Absolutely. And thank you everyone for tuning in to Amplify, where we bring together student experience, Black voices, and social justice. Okay. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Amplify, a podcast series for historically unheard Cabrillo students. You can join us by emailing Raina Chalice at R-A-C-H-E-L-I-S at cabrillo.edu or me, Nikia Cheney at N-I-C-H-A-N-E-Y at cabrillo.edu or even texting 951-254-3651 or visiting our website at podcastforcabrillo.com dot wordpress.com and amplify your own voice too